Today's reading is Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone, and I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. The word of the Lord. So today marks the second Sunday of Advent, and I know not everyone necessarily grew up in a church where they observed Advent, and so I don't want to take anything for granted. And so just so you know, um, as we kind of follow the liturgical calendar here, Advent is the season of the church year. It's the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, and it's a season of anticipation and of preparation um, as we celebrate the birth of Christ uh, and the miracle and mystery of the Incarnation. And so really one of the great themes of, uh, of Advent, and, and, and we even started the week before Advent um, when I preached, but a theme that's emerged, it's there every year, but it feels especially prominent and meaningful um, in this Advent season is that of exile. And so last week, Matt preached on the passage from Jeremiah, address, directly addressing the exiles who were in Babylon, who were hoping you know, to return quickly, and the message was, no, kind of settle down. Um, settle in place, get used to it. And one of the big takeaways I took away from Matt's teaching last week was that um, a way to live through a time of exile is don't look, no quick, there's no quick fixes. There's no easy solutions. Like you, you, you've got to be in it and prepared 
for the long haul. There's no, you know, one weird trick that's going to change things. And so thus, I think that the concepts of, of exile and endurance, those two things really belong together. And our passage comes this morning from Ezekiel. It's certainly the most famous passage uh, from the book that bears his name. And Ezekiel was a prophet, and his work took place uh, around the period of the Babylonian exile. In fact, he was one of, there was kind of uh, the Babylonian empire attacked Jerusalem. There was sort of a temporary peace that was achieved, but in that time, so Jerusalem at first was not totally destroyed. The city was spared, but a group of elites were taken into exile. And so uh, Ezekiel was among that group of early people who were taken into exile before the destruction of Jerusalem. And so Ezekiel had a sort of front row seat, as it were. He was kind of a, a predecessor, a precursor of what was to come. And, and the first part of his, his book is about warning people that there's a disaster on the horizon, saying it wasn't just, you know, me. It wasn't just the few of us um, who are being punished for the sins of the many, but, but that this same fate that befell us awaits us all. And so the book opens with these fantastical uh, visions of, of, of a chariot with wheels spinning. And the basic message, though, is, is that the, the Ark of the covenant, the holy of holies, is, is leaving the temple. It's sort of like the Elvis has left the building moment for God's people. The unthinkable was happening. The God who, uh, uh, in, in, when Solomon dedicates the temple and the glory of the Lord fills the temple, and they've sought that, okay, God has decided to live here amongst his people. Well, it was the departure of that presence, which was symbolically the departure of God's presence from his people. And so this was the unthinkable because the temple, for the people living in Jerusalem, that was their talisman. That meant that, that no matter what happened, the worst case scenario was off the table because God dwelt there, he would not let it fall. And in the end, they were so sure of that, that no matter how bad things got, that the worst would never happen. The unthinkable could never occur. But Ezekiel is warning in the first part of his book time and again that no matter how bad things are, they could certainly get worse. And they're about to. And then as Ezekiel warned, the unthinkable happened. The impossible happened. Jerusalem's overrun. The temple is raised. The king and his coterie carted off as spoils of war to the heart of the evil empire. And for the people of God, this wasn't merely a, a catastrophe. This was an existential crisis. This was a crisis of faith. And so Ezekiel's prophetic vocation, though, it shifts. In the first part, as the prophet, he is afflicting the comfortable. People who thought everything's going to be okay. And now he is comforting the afflicted. Eugene Peterson, uh, the late great Presbyterian pastor, pastor to many pastors, um, also translator of the message, paraphrase. He highlights in his, uh, in his introduction to Ezekiel that, that what Ezekiel highlights is the natural human tendency to have really two responses to disaster. When ca catastrophe strikes, we, we usually sort ourselves into one of two camps. And one of those camps are the denialists. They say, you know what? Nothing to see here. It's not so bad. You know, let's just sort of carry along on our merry way. So you really see that there's this tendency for the denialists or the downplayers. It's not that bad. And then on the other side are the despair people. The people saying, whoa, this is awful, this is terrible, this is bad, and it's never going to get better ever again. 
the denialists, and the despairers. If we've ever experienced catastrophe in our own lives or collectively, maybe we have seen those two tendencies playing themselves out. And so, in the first part of his book, Ezekiel's really addressing the denialists. But in the second part of his book, and of all the prophets, Ezekiel is maybe the one who does the best to speak to people who are in despair, who have given up hope, who have surrendered to the circumstances, and who believe that as bad as things are now, right, that that's the best they will ever be. And so the, the bad times are the ceiling, and God only knows where the floor might be. And so if you've ever found yourself in that place of despair, if you've ever known someone who's, who's dwelt in that place of despair, then Ezekiel 37 is for you. And so there's four aspects of, of really living through exile, living through despair that we see in this passage this morning. And, and so four kind of steps we're going to walk through in this. The first is listening to the pain. The second is acknowledging our ignorance. Third is hearing the word. And fourth is depending on the Spirit. So first, listening to the pain. And so we're going to start in this passage by actually skipping forward to the end, towards, towards the end, towards verse 11, because that's really where this image of the valley of the dry bones comes from. It's, it's a response of God to the cries of his people. And so in verse 11, the Lord says to Ezekiel, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, so this is what the people said, our bones are dried up. And our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. So the remarkable thing is that the imagery for the vision itself was provided for by the the complaint, the lament, the pain of the people. From their perspective, the reality of their exile meant that they were as good as dead. They might as well have been dead. Is there anything more tragic than a people who say, Our hope is lost. A lack of hope literally kills people. It's true. Uh, Admiral James Stockdale, Jim Stockdale, he was an American war hero and a prisoner of war uh, from Vietnam. And he spent eight years, I think, at the Hanoi Hilton in a North Vietnamese prison. And uh, uh, Mike and I actually, Mike Nelson and I talked about this on... uh, our podcast, Like Trees Walking. I think the episode with Amy, actually, we we talked about this story. And what a shame it was that most people's awareness of Admiral Stockdale was, and actually this is, it's funny how memories work. Like one of my first, my first political memories as a child were the 1992 presidential campaign for whatever reason. I was about 10 years old when it came. And I really remember Ross Perot, like quite a bit. And if you're older than I am, you probably remember him really well. Because he just had that whiny sort of Texas voice and he I remember his PBS special where he like pointed he had his pointer on the charts and he kept doing it and he I mean he was a political force to be reckoned with like but he was such a strange guy and he picked James Stockdale to be his running mate and Stockdale famously he qualified for the uh, vice presidential debate so there he was with Dan Quayle and uh, and Al Gore and and he he opened his remarks by saying who am I what am I doing here and that made him and then the great Phil Hartman portrayed him as kind of this sort of bumbling, you know, forgetful idiot on Saturday Night Live. And that image of Stockdale, Jim Stockdale, was seared in the public conscious and the collective memory, which obscured that this guy was 
an intellect. He was a hero. He was an incredible person. So it's just funny how that works. And, and, and he arose, you know, to the ranks of admiral, and he became a, a scholar, a soldier scholar. But um, I think his image is redeemed much more. Uh, there's this famous leadership author called Jim Collins. He wrote this book, Good to Great. Probably many of us in here have been exposed to um, some of its teachings and its principles. And, and so he, he spoke to Stockdale for his book on leadership. Because uh, Stockdale had experience of surviving, you know, horrible things we can't imagine. And, and not just surviving, but really thriving through it. And Stockdale told Jim Collins that the people who were most likely to die in captivity, you know, his fellow prisoners, he said the people who were most likely to die were the erstwhile optimists who had lost all hope. The, 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 the prisoners who thought, well, we'll be out by Thanksgiving. We'll be out by Christmas. We'll be out by New Year. And, and, and then they would wither away. Their, 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 their spirits would just wither and die on the vine. When that whatever they had put in their mind as that day they would be out by, passed and got further and further, receded away. He says that they died of a broken heart. And so to me, that speaks of a people without hope, a people who are cut off. Uh, To be hopeless is to be truly heartbroken. And so making it through despair, though, starts by listening to the lament, listening to the pain. If God hadn't listened to the lament, then there wouldn't have been the imagery for Ezekiel's vision of the valley of the dry bones. And listening to the lament doesn't mean agreeing with it necessarily, but you've got to listen to it. You've got to hear it so you know how to respond. And listening is powerful. That's one of the great secrets of life and great themes of Scripture. And it's a skill that's hard to master, but it's really one of you know, the best that we can learn as Christians. If we can learn to really listen to people, to hear people, to pick up on what they're saying and ask the follow-up question. Listening is hard because sometimes maybe we're afraid of what we're going to hear. But when we listen, you know, we, 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 we learn something. And, you know, we think often it's about the right message. It's about the right, the right response. That's the thing that's so important. And, and the message matters, but really the message starts through listening. And right now there are certainly some laments that we've got to be listening to. In in the broader culture, there's lamenting going on. In our own circles, there's lamenting going on. Some laments that we personally just might need to speak. Losses to mourn, pains to share. And so to make our way through despair, we've got to be willing to speak and be willing to hear that. And God heard his people. And throughout Scripture, one of the things that makes God God is that God is a God who listens to the cries of his people. The Exodus story from slavery, I mean, the great Old Testament narrative, starts with God hearing the cries of his people. God says, I have heard the cries of my people. There are groans. So God listens to the pain. He hears the lament. So that's the first aspect of of, of living through despair, of living through exile. But the second one is acknowledging our ignorance. The Spirit of the Lord leads Ezekiel out in, in this vision in the midst of a valley of dry bones and asks a, a difficult question. Son of man, or O mortal, can these bones live? What a question for God to ask him. 
And this valley, you know, wasn't just a couple of bones scattered over here and there. It was mountains, mounds of bones. Ezekiel says there were very many of them, and they were very dry. The scene here, it's something like out of a nightmare vision of, of after some horrible massacre or battle or slaughter with one army completely obliterated by the other. This wasn't even a mass grave. This was just bones piled on top of bones left to dry and get bleached beneath the unforgiving sun. This is the original Death Valley right here. And so then the question is posed in the midst of that kind of a, a, a vision, a horrific vision, can these bones live? And the obvious answer is no, they cannot. They're dead. They're deader than dead, and the dead stay dead. They have been defeated, and hope is lost. That's the correct and obvious answer, particularly to the person in the valley of despair, for the person and for the people who have said, our hope is lost, we are cut off. And Ezekiel's answer to this question is fascinating because Ezekiel does not give the Sunday school answer. He doesn't do that. He doesn't go, well, yes, they can live. With God, all things are possible. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, that kind of stuff. He says, O Lord God, or O Sovereign Lord, you know. It's not a yes. It's not a no. It's not even an I don't know. It's God, you know. I think that's so helpful because when we're faced with a hopeless situation, when Ezekiel's faced with a hopeless situation, he doesn't presume to know the outcome. He doesn't presume to know what is and isn't possible. What he does presume is that in the end, God is going to have, is God is going to have something to say about it. That's what faith looks like in the valley of despair. It doesn't look like whistling past the graveyard. It isn't all happy talk, but it isn't all doom and gloom either. That things are bad now and they're not going to get any better, and so why even bother? Faith in these circumstances is accepting the limitations of our knowledge and our understanding of what is possible and surrendering our situation to the sovereignty of God. And so when faced with a hopeless situation, we've got to give up the presumption of knowledge, the presumption of control, the presumption of knowing how everything is going to turn out in the end and turn it over to God. And so God asks, in effect with the question, you know, can these bones live? Is there hope, even in this, the most hopeless situation, is there hope? And Ezekiel's answer is, well, that depends, God. What are you going to do about it? If there's going to be a way out, Ezekiel knows that it's going to be God who makes that way. If there's going to be a way forward, it's going to be God, that, God who makes that way. If there's going to be a way back home for the people in exile, it's going to be a God who makes that way. If there is going to be a way for us out of despair, it's going to be God who makes that way. If there is going to be a way from death to life, it is going to be God who makes that way. And so the way through despair is to, to listen to the lament, and it's to acknowledge and accept our own ignorance and limitations in favor of God's sovereignty and knowledge. 
in Good to Great, Jim Collins talks about what he calls the Stockdale Paradox. It's this. It's, this is a very important lesson he writes. That Stockdale says, You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end that you can never afford to lose with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. So the important lesson that Stockdale learned was you can never confuse the faith that you cannot lose, that you will prevail in the end with the ability to confront the brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. And so this, that's the Stockdale paradox. Well, here's the Ezekiel paradox. The lament of the people, the valley filled with dry bones, says there is no way. This is a brutal current situation. But add to it the hope, the trust, that there is a God who will make a way. And so to make it through despair, we need to embrace both the truth and the possibility that transcends our ability to hope. So Ezekiel sees the bones, he gives his answer, and then God says, prophesy over these bones. Which brings us to the third aspect of making it through despair, and that's the word of God. And it's a word that is is spoken and shared while the bones are still dry. And it's spoken and shared while the situation still seems hopeless, where death is still the prevailing and overwhelming reality. That's the context. That's the situation into which these words are spoken. God doesn't reassemble the bones into bodies first. What comes first is God's word of life. And so when we're in a hopeless place, what we need then, even though we think it's paradoxical and even though it might seem pointless, what we need in that dry place, that dead place, is God's word first. We might think, well, I'm not ready to hear it. My circumstances need to change before anyone will really listen. But it's, it's, it's the word of the Lord that changes our circumstances because it is a living word. This passage has often been used as an encouragement to preachers who ask themselves, what's the point? You know, why do I get up here week after week and, and, and preach, you know, to a bunch of dry bones? You know, I, I talk about faith and all I see are, are, are skeptics, you know. I preach about being a countercultural witness and all I see are people just following the cultural trends. I preach about forgiveness and all I see are grudges. I preach about love and I see hearts that are cold. I preach about surrendering everything we have to God and I see people holding on tightly to what they already have. And God's message is not just for preachers. It's God's message to all of us when we're faced with the harsh realities of the things in this world that are opposed to God. He says, prophesy, preach, proclaim this word even to dry bones. Because, and here we get to the last and and the most crucial aspect of living through despair, living through exile, living through the valley of dry bones, is that ultimately what we are relying upon is God's spirit. It's God who's going to make the difference. We, we, We preach, we speak, we act, you know, we do what we can do, but we are always dependent upon the spirit of the Lord to give life to whatever it is we do and whatever circumstances we're in. 
Without the Spirit of the Lord, those, even those bodies, after they constitute themselves, the bones come together. It's like, a, it's like a reverse decomposition that happens. The bones come together, and then the sinews come on, and then the skins come on. But they're just corpses there without the Spirit. And as cool as that might be, as crazy as that might be to see, they're not living. We're back here in, in, in Genesis chapter 2, where the human being is formed out of the dust of the earth, but doesn't become a living being until the breath of God breathed in through his nostrils. And so without God's spirit, Ezekiel's words are words, they're just empty sonic vibrations over a pile of bones. Without the spirit of the Lord, Ezekiel never would have seen this great vision of hope that he shared with the people. Without the spirit of the Lord, we're dead. To make it through despair, we really need God's inspiration breathing in us. We need him to breathe his life into us. And, and this, this last point here reminds me of something that we talked about in our life group last week. And if you're not in life group, you can still get this point. And if you are in life group, just know that our group is one session behind. So you already talked about this. This is video number four. How can I have faith? And you might be, well, we're on to video number five. But understand that our group is slowly working our way through, um, through the Alpha course. But it, so we, we, we just watched it this last week. And, and so Nikki Gumbel is, you know, talking about how can we have faith? And, and so he talks about, he compares it to his marriage to his wife, Pippa, and saying, how can I know I'm married to her? And so he talks about, you know, that there's the document, you know, the marriage certificate. And so for Christians, we have scripture. And he talks about um, an event, you know, for, for him, it's the event of his marriage that he remembers. For Christians, it's the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. But he's like, you know, none of that matters you know, for us without the Spirit of God living us that gives us also the experience of living a life of faith. That's a, a necessary element because faith isn't merely assent to theological propositions or even accepting the historicity of certain I- events. It's the Spirit of God coming to live inside of us so that we go from dead and hopeless to alive and hopeful. And so how do we receive that spirit. In a certain sense, there's, there's nothing we sort of can do to make it happen, and that's okay. All we can do is be faithful. Believe in God. Trust in Jesus' death and resurrection to save us. Be baptized. Pray. Hear and listen to the word expectantly and seek to live faithfully and trust that in all of that, God is going to fill us with his spirit come to live in us and work through our lives so that he will see us through the difficult times and and will bring us out of the dark places into irrepressible light. And the belief in the resurrection of the dead, it has its roots in this passage. Passages like Ezekiel 37. And a striking feature of of much of the Old Testament is, is a lack of emphasis upon any kind of life after death reality. That's not what the beginning of Scripture is about. There's almost no emphasis on, on an afterlife. People weren't believing in the God. The great Old Testament saints weren't believing in God because they thought they would go to heaven when they die. It wasn't until the exile that God really revealed to his people that the ultimate source of their hope was his power, power to overcome even death. And many modern scholars, they see Ezekiel 37 and its resurrection talk as a mere metaphor for returning from exile that then turned into an actual belief in resurrection of the dead. But that's not the case. Because Ezekiel's vision 
of these dry bones living. It's one that transcends mere exile, the mere earthly return from, uh, you know, a distant place to your homeland. And so really the return from exile from Babylon to, to Israel is itself a metaphor for the reality of the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting. This is an event which even here in Ezekiel points beyond itself to God's power to ultimately do what he did in Jesus Christ, and that is to defeat the power and the forces arrayed, arrayed against him, the ultimate example being death. And so this Advent, the season of anticipation and expectation and living through exile, let us remember that God's ultimate answer to that question, Son of man, can these bones live? Is, ironically, the Son of man himself Jesus Christ, who, who came to earth 2,000 years ago and we believe is coming again. And so if you're feeling hopeless, if you're feeling in despair, if you're in a valley of dry bones right now, that's okay. Lament. Name that. Look to Jesus. Listen to God's word and trust in the secret working of his spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please pray with me.